There has been so much misinformation put out from some of these crazy Karens. Blah, blah, blah. Excuse me. <laughs> we have the mother. This is obviously the missing mother. And we have the child. And they just poof, disappeared. It was how he was not only going to kill me, but how he was going to kill my husband. And the race was on. You are listening to an exclusive episode of The Clown Files with Philip and Carol. Good morning. It is the last, second to last week of October. And we are here. My name is Philip Klein, and I am the chief cook and bottle washer around this joint. Um, Caroline Gear, who is uh, the state of Texas investigator of the year. We're still celebrating that. It's a huge still achievement. I love your, uh, what is that, a crystal they put up in your... Uh, in your office? Uh, I think it's a diamond crystal. Oh, man, it's nice. And again, we want to thank everybody in the federal, state, local law enforcement that uh, supported Caroline in this and and got her her uh, her uh, her award. And I'm still a proud dad. Why, thank you. All right. All right, folks, um, I guess you're not going to talk much in this uh, first portion. We have a couple of portions that we're going to address today in the Thomas Brown case. Now, let me warn everyone, this is the last time we will be able to talk about the Thomas Brown case, as we have uh, told everyone, uh, everybody knows already, we're headed to litigation uh, in the civil courts on the Brown case. Uh, they have hired legal counsel, and um, and I'll let the legal counsel speak for themselves. I'm not going to speak for them because you know how lawyers are. Every time you say something, <laughs> there's only something else to say, true or false. Yep. Okay, so we'll let the lawyers battle it out between the parties and, uh, and do their thing. We're going to be taking a step back. Uh, after this podcast, uh, we're going to be taking a little step back in what we say uh, in the public. Uh, we will have the opportunity, our team will have the opportunity to be deposed. Uh, we'll save our words for our deposition. Uh, and, um, you know, we're going to, we're, we're, like I said, headed to the courthouse. And what continuing to investigate the case. Oh, I yeah. Mean, well, no, we're, we're not, not stopping. Going away. Oh, heck no. Which leads me to... A lot of you uh, out there in um, in the cyber world, um, okay, let me just put it this way. I got to be honest with everyone. I don't like Facebook. I don't read Facebook very much. Sometimes you and Taylor and a few others will come down the hallway and say, Hey, you need to see this on Facebook. And I'll go, does it have anything to do with substance of the case? And they'll say, well, yeah, it kind of does. Because how did this person know this fact in the Brown case? And it's, it's very interesting to see where the leaks come from. So we purposefully, uh, for how long? Three months? Didn't say anything about the Tom Brown case. We just kept our mouth shut. We kept investigating. We kept putting charts up on our on our war room walls. We uh, watched what others said uh, about the Brown case. We started, you know, because we kind of felt that 
the less we said, the better others would talk. It's an old investigative technique. The OAG is using that right now. <laughs> Rachel Kading is sitting down in Austin, and we got intelligence uh, yesterday that she is uh, calling around to some of the people like uh, uh, Chris and Crane. She's calling those guys, uh, and she's a little nervous, or maybe not. Maybe she's just being an investigator. She's doing the same thing we were doing, which is sit back and let them squawk and say what they were going to say. The issue is, is that uh, they have overstepped their bounds over at the Chris and Crane show. And uh, Jane Holmes will be on. Uh, well, maybe Jane, what was that? That is There's our your new, phone. That is our new. Um, I didn't know it could do that, guys. Well, that was my mom calling. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to fix that to where we can disconnect because that will be our part two portion of the, of the show. Somebody in. Well, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. It worked out well. Um, anyway, um, we are going to do part two uh, with Jane Holmes. We'll be doing it, and she's going to talk to you uh, about conversations she has had. Uh, with uh, DJ, the DJ up at, what's his name? Chris Samples. Chris Samples is his name. Chris Samples and um, this guy named Michael Crane, the former state investigator. We're going to go through Michael Crane's background a little bit, Jane will, and she's going to talk to you all about how they have put this guy up as some kind of professional, and he's really not. I mean, he was a... Uh, T-A-B-C stamp reader, I guess. I, I don't That's That's what the documents show. We've posted the documents onto our website. You can go to Klein Investigations on Facebook. Uh, the Karens are out, so be careful. The Karens are out. They're swirling. And uh, I guess it's Halloween. They're all on their brooms and they're swirling around. I don't know. I just know it sucks out way too much energy to try to keep up. Exactly. So we don't try to keep up. Again, you guys see why I don't get on there. Now, this is the first time I've gotten on there and made a couple of statements to people. And, of course, the first thing they do is tuck tail and run because they know they've just drank the Kool-Aid or, or, or what they say is not true. Uh, and, uh, and so... Um, Anyway, so I'll let Jane do all that, and uh, I'll chirp in a little bit every once in a while. But I, I want you all to hear from another investigator that is actually in the field, and she's an interview specialist. And uh, uh, we're going to release, we're going to find a portal to release the conversations that she has had with both gentlemen. Uh, they're vile. Uh, they are rude, except for Crane. Crane's a pretty nice guy when you when you hear him. I've n I don't n I don't know either of these men. He doesn't want to converse with you. He's already stated that. Oh, okay, cool. I don't I don't care. Okay, great. Down the road, um, I have met Chris Samples a couple of times. And you've been on a show. And before. I've, I've been on a show before. Yeah. And frankly, y'all didn't have any issues at first. No, we didn't. I found him to be a very wonderful man up until the point he asked me off air, you know, why aren't you answering this question or that question? And I said, um, uh, Chris is his name. Chris, let me, let me tell you this. Um, I'm not accusing law enforcement 
But I got a problem with some of the things that have been told to us, such as Tom Brown was a diaper-wearing fag that went out to North Carolina. That's what the sheriff's department told me on our first contact with him four days into the missing. Or he's a diaper-wearing fag that went to Los Angeles to MMA fight. He got on a truck. Oh, my gosh. Well, of course, we get with Netmec. It was Netmec, right? Yeah, Netmec that we got with immediately. Got his picture out to the West Coast and the East Coast until finally L.A. County Sheriff's Department, who handles missing persons cases, kind of clearinghouse, Orange County District Attorney's Office, the people that we are working with there on another case. And they told us, guys, he ain't out here. There's no MMA fighting place. Same thing in North Carolina. We felt like fools. We wasted three weeks of our first initial investigation. And that's when we came back to Canadian immediately and we began the operation. But Jane will talk. Let's touch on that for a second, though. Go ahead. <clears throat> it's been brought to my attention that one of the main things that is, quote, an issue for whoever. I don't even know who all it's an issue for. I can only assume that little party of five. Um, <laughs> the Karens. That <laughs> no um, bolos or like whenever when it, whenever I get a missing person and I um, put together their flyer, their missing flyer. You're in charge of that. <clears throat> when I put that together, we send them out to targeted areas in the last known locations and or anywhere that we have tips. Mm -hmm. So specifically with the Tom Brown case, I think somebody tried to say that we never did that, that that's not a thing that yeah, you're not it was allowed Michael Crane. to. It was Michael Crane that did that. See, I don't, I, I don't recall it being Michael Crane. I, I, I know it was on the Chris samples and I don't know who it was. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was somebody else. I have no idea. But whenever you get a missing person, you put their bolo together. That's what we call it. There might be three or four different freaking names for it. I don't know. It's Bolo. But what we call it is a Bolo. And we put together a flyer and we send them to targeted areas. I do that all the time. I send via email. I used to send faxes. And we send them to hotels, to businesses. Um, if, if we're local, we'll go drop them off. It's called flooding the area. So it's a real damn thing. And for somebody to sit here and say, oh, no, it's it's just made up. It's just something that they just made up on a whim that they don't actually do that. Like, who are you to even say that? Because you have no freaking clue. And I'm doing a real good job at not cussing right now, because you know, that's my problem <laughs> that you have no clue what we do. You just assume and you know what they say, assuming makes an ass of yourself. Well, they, I, you know, and, and, and you know what, with, with all the information coming out on that Chris and Crane show, uh, the, I, I just, um, uh, I, I, I mean, over 80% of it is false. All they're doing is they're saying, you said this at this time, but in the timeline, it says this, or in this is, you know, I try to explain to people cases ebb and flow. They ebb and flow. If we had, we would have made fools of ourselves if we'd stayed out in Los Angeles and North Carolina on the Tom Brown case, looking for a diaper wearing fag, uh, learning how to fight MMA. Am I right? 
I mean, we would we would look foolish. In fact, I still say we look foolish, and everybody disagrees with me. But I still think we look foolish on that because you know what? We really, really, really should have st- taken a step back and go, well. That doesn't make sense, but you trust law enforcement, and that's what the current, the not the current, the past law enforcement told us. It wasn't until Caroline put the bolo out that got to both agencies, remember, and they called us and said, "What?" Well, and simultaneously, as Philip stated, I was working with somebody from Orange County's office on another missing case. And so I had conversed and I had sent over different things. And so again, you you just, you have no clue what you're talking about. You, None. You don't. Zero. And, and you know what? If whatever, feel free to pick up the phone and call me. Let's have a conversation because I'm tired of trying to continually sit here and clarify information that shouldn't even have to be clarified at this point. That, that, that's so yeah, but you got minuscule. But, but it falls into their narrative in the Tom Brown case, right? It's pushing the narrative that they want to push without yeah. actually having the freaking facts, right? Exactly, and and that and that and you know what? It's so naive. And think about this, friends. It's so naive to think that Tom disappeared to the east or west coast to learn how to MMA fight and that he was queer and wore diapers. I mean, okay, some of that is true. Not the gay part. He's not gay. Never has been, never will be. The diaper thing, we've already publicly said, yes, that was a fetish that he had. But everything else... It just didn't happen. My question is, when an outside agency comes in, because there's only, at that time, what, seven deputies that were up there? We have a team of nine highly trained federal agents, state officers. I mean, you name it. We've got it here. And we immediately jumped into action. And the first thing we want to do is we want to trust law enforcement. And they lied to us. They made up a story. And so you have to ask your first question is, why? Okay, why? To go to your point, Caroline, when you do a case as complex as this, with this complex, and it is very complex, there's only 2,300 people that live in the county of uh, Hemphill. Only 2,300 people. That's it. Okay. When you get a crime such as that, because that community's not used to a crime, everybody wants to point the finger at each other, right? Oh, bad parents. If you really want to believe that Chris and Penny Meek, as well as Tucker, picked up Tom you have to suppose Tom killed himself at his house. How did he kill himself? What did he kill himself with? You know, you go through all the routine of their of their strategized story, right? And that the family picked him up, put him in a car, drove him out to Lake Marvin Road, threw his backpack out, threw all the evidence that we have found out there. 
shoot what we got shoes we got shirts we got what jeans we got we got a bunch of stuff that was toms out there that nobody went ever went out there to look on our first visit so we found a bunch of stuff and they kept telling us no he's not out on lake marvin oh and by the way the last two miles don't go down there there's drug activity you could ruin our undercover drug operations and here's the thing Let, let's touch on that because you know I've heard that people are trying to say that that's like false. That never happened. The one thing that I can say and that I can pride our team on is that we never do anything alone. Everything is done in pairs when we're there. Um, if Philip makes a solo um, trip on his own, he always has his dash cam going. He always has everything recorded. And so everything is done with another set of eyes and ears. And I think that's what the public doesn't even understand in this case is that in, when that particular thing was said, there were actually one, two, three, four, four of us and a dog plus three other people in the room. So that's not something that anybody can come back and say didn't happen or that wasn't, it wasn't stated that way. Yes, it was. I you heard were it sitting right there ears. when they told us. I was writing my own notes. I know exactly what was said and what happened in that room. It's a false narrative that they're putting out, which leads me to why everybody always asks us, why are you looking into axillary people, my word, in this case, such as Robert Boyd? Why are you looking at Trey and Anita Webb and their daughter again? Why are you looking at Chris Samples? You think Chris Samples is doing that for free? Or the King family. Or the King family, which, by the way... Or the Castletine. Or the Castletine family. Why are you guys looking at Because we're making sure we did the right thing. As far as State Representative King is concerned and his family, do you disagree? They're cleared. I mean, as far as we know today, they are cleared. And I want to make that clear to everyone that that family has been cleared. But you always go back to the last people that Thomas was seen with. Exactly. Which was Christian and Caleb, and period. And that's why we go back and check and recheck and make sure we didn't miss anything. Now, that leads us to the first portion of this podcast that we want to do. I purposely didn't say anything to anyone about an incident that happened this past Friday, I snuck into town last week, kept my head down, either was in the hotel or out in the field doing interviews. But let's just talk about the particular day that's of important, which is Friday. Now, I'm sure at the time Friday morning at 8 o'clock rolled around, people in town knew I was there. I had conducted interviews. I had talked to people. I had gone by a few places. We had done some measurements, time-distance study. I was very, very busy up there. And I'm sure people were looking, uh-oh, he's in town. Because I know because I walked into a cafe and the waitresses came up and said hello and gave me a hug and said, nice to see you. And, you know, I'm glad you're here. Keep going, Klein. Keep going. These people are out of control up here. And what they were meaning is there's two types of people in Canadian, Texas, Hemphill County. There are the haves and the have-nots. Okay. The haves and the have-nots. There is a very, very long line of haves up there. 
people who own some small businesses that are in the old business, money that has been passed down through generations, homes that have been passed down through generations, ranches that have been passed down through generations. Those are the haves. They're usually pretty silent. But when crap came to town six years ago, five years ago, which is the Thomas Brown case, I call it crap because that's what it is. A young boy was murdered. And then all of a sudden, within a period of a year and a half, the sheriff gets removed from office or he leaves because he knew, knew the removal was coming. He gets caught putting, and we're going to talk about this a lot more when Jane gets in, got caught falsifying documents, putting documents in to the Brown file and other files. T. Cole, Texas Commission on Law Enforcement uh, Standards, came in and raided the place, found a bunch of documents. Brent Clapp, the sheriff, now up there, testified against the current the the former sitting sheriff to and spilled his guts and said yeah they're putting in supplemental documents they're covering their butts the sheriff did that the current sheriff did that the, i had so much respect for him in that and now i'm just disgusted with him I, it, it's politics for him and let me let me let me tell you why on Friday morning this past week, I, and I'm speaking for me because it happened to me, I began to put my interview list for the day together. I had seven people I wanted to interview. Seven. So I got started. About 8.05, went and had a little breakfast, got roared up, had to do a, a field study, got that done and completed, put in my CAD. I did a couple other things, you know, went by and said hello to a couple people. And and then and then once all that was completed, I had a lovely I had to get court documents. Well, that was something I did. Met some very nice people up in the up in the county clerk and the district clerk's office. Very nice group of people up there. Um said hello to a couple of elected officials. So I tootled on down to my unit, and I went and had a uh, wonderful conversation with um, uh, Dr. Abraham and his wife. They have concerns. I wanted to hear from them what their concerns were. It was a very, very, very lovely conversation. Later, met them at lunch. Uh, we had late lunch. So once the lunch was over, I had to, you know, I was kind of running behind and, and, uh, I had, I had to get to work and I did. And so at a particular time in the afternoon, approximately at three o'clock, three, actually it was about, uh, three 35, I went to. A lady named, what's her first name? Andre, uh, Ashley. Ashley Boyd's house. Now, Ashley Boyd is the estranged wife of Robert Boyd. Why did I want to talk to Ashley Boyd? Well, as an investigator, remember we talked about axillary issues. 
Sometimes you can solve cases when people have loose lips, right? I don't know Ashley Boyd. Never met even to today. Never put my eyes on her. Well, she was with Robert at the um, town meeting, but we never actually physically met her. Oh, did I did I didn't even she you was probably there? didn't even know that. Uh, yes, I didn't even was. know that. Okay. So long story short, I arrived at their residence at about three thirty-five. And um when I got out of the truck, uh, I walked up to the front door to interview her. Now, again, the reason why we wanted to interview her, and we will through deposition, I mean that's coming for her. She knows that's coming. We wanted to interview her and just say, hey, look, are you willing to talk to us about your husband's involvement in the Tom Brown case? That's it. First question. If she says yes, then we sit down and do the interview. If she says no, we say thank you very much and we leave. That's how we roll. We don't browbeat people. We don't demand to have this and that. There's two ways to interview you. We'll interview you through legal action in a deposition, which she will get. Or you can just give us the interview. 99.9. Wouldn't you say 99% of the people, Carolyn, we deal with go, sure, come in and sit down. I got nothing to hide. Yeah. 99%. And I think we need to clarify that with Robert Boyd, Yes, his inv- you specifically just said his involvement in the Thomas Brown case. Yep. He is involved in the Thomas Brown case in the sense of he has inserted himself into this case by his remarks, by his drunk phone calls to myself here in this office that are yep. all recorded. The voicemails left to this office of threatening um, words. The well, and you'll, you'll touch on this in a minute, the mm-hmm. threat he made to you that day. But there, he does have involvement in this case, maybe not directly with the night of what happened to Thomas. But if you have somebody that's calling your office very early on in the investigation, saying things in a drunken manner to an investigator on the team, that's involvement. And he's one of the sheriff, the former sheriff. He's one of their his best friends. In fact, I think Somebody told us they work together in an interview. Go on trips together. Go on trips together, do things together. Okay? Now, yes, Robert and Ashley are separated. They are estranged from each other. Okay? So there's tension there. We get it. But we wanted to give Miss Boyd the opportunity to talk to us. We wanted to ask some questions. That will come at a different date. So, anyway. And when I got there, I knocked on the door. Nobody answered. So I was leaving. A very nice lady by the name of Mrs. Miller was walking up the steps. She goes, hi, Mr. Klein. I don't know this lady. I said, hello. I said, I'm Philip Klein. Shook her hand. And Mrs. Hi, Mrs. Miller. Uh, she introduced herself as uh, somebody Miller. I, I, how are you? Fine. Good. Hey, uh, I'm, I was looking for Ashley. Um, is she around? And she goes, no, she's still at work. I'm dropping the kids off. I said, oh, okay, cool. I didn't see any kids. I guess they had run by us and ran up into the door because I was more interested about putting my business card on the door and putting my phone number on the back of the business card. And I, I looked at Ms. Miller. I said, hey, since you're going up there to to uh, make sure they're settled and close the door. Here's my business card. Could you leave it on the table for her? 
Now, why would I say that? Well, I don't want it in the door because, you know, if it's a better chance of putting it on the on the on the card table or whatever they eat their dinner at, um, you know, it's the better way to do it. I mean, it's a better way to get it, a clean business card with a good address, on, I mean, good, good cell phone number on the back. That's just the way I thought. I mean, trying to be nice, but, you know, how that works. So I did. I was writing on my CAD notes of what just occurred. And I was closing my little CAD thing, and I was out on the, I guess I was right on the uh, uh, sidewalk. And Miller came by, and I admired her car. She has a fine car, good-looking car. And we kind of laughed a little bit. I said, I'll see. I said, well, thank you. And she said, thank you. Bye, bye. And I got in my car. I hooked my CAD into my unit, and I started my my car. Okay? I drove off. Had a couple of things that I needed to do, including get gas for my truck, right? And then I had to... um, uh, I was going to my next appointment, which was at around four o'clock. Okay. So I had a couple of minutes to get gas in my car and knew she wasn't home. I would await her phone call to me. I wouldn't go back over there because she knows I want to talk to her. If she doesn't call me, she doesn't want to talk to me. I get it. We'll go the deposition route. Not a problem. Because we're not, when you're a professional investigator, you don't harass people. You don't. You just, contrary to what's being put out. Yeah, try, it's contrary to what's being put out. So as I'm driving my car, and I think I may have done one other thing. I can't really remember it right now, but it was silliness. But I'm driving my car. Oh, yeah, I got lost in Canadian, Texas. Imagine that. So I'm going down, I think it was 14th Street. And uh, I'm looking for this address, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and the phone rings. Well, I see it's an 806 number, and I'm thinking, well, you know, who the hell could that be? Uh, and you know, quite other frank, than your client, other than my client, this is going. Where are you? Because at this point, it's you know a little bit after four, and I, I answer the, or maybe it's a little bit before four, and maybe they saw me drive by their house because I was looking for numbers, and I say hello. And I'm, I'm telling you, a wild man was on the phone. And I, 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 get the children to leave the room. I'll give you 10 seconds. Get the children to leave the room right now because I'm fixing to say something that is vile. Okay? So I say hello, and there is a person screaming on the phone i'm gonna kill you you stay stop trying to inter, uh, interact with my children you son of a bitch uh you mf i'll say it, motherfucker and i mean he went crazy and it took me about five ten seconds to go okay who is this who are you who is this i didn't snap to who it was And then I snapped and went, hold on a minute, is this Robert Boyd? And he just kept screaming. He kept, I mean, look, I'm telling you, he was out of town, obviously. But if he had been in town, I guarantee you there would have been a gun battle out there. He would have found me and there would have been a gun battle. I'm telling you. 
He was that out of control. He actually proved what everybody else has said, that this guy is just unstable. He's just, he's just not stable. And he's crazy, and he's radical. And anyway, long story short, uh, he said I was going to be dead. Uh, he Direct death threat. A direct death, death threat to me. And I was like, my God, okay. Didn't even talk to your damn kids. Did I, you know, all I did was try to write out something on the back of a card. I gave it to a nice lady. She put it on the thing. I didn't even see the kids. And, and, I, and I was thinking to myself, oh, my God. Anyway, oh, and in the middle of the screaming, he said, Brent Clapp is looking for you right now. He's going to get you. He's going to put you in jail. He's going to. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about, dude? You need to slow down. And, of course, the phone conversation ended. So I go to this next witness's house, and I'm conducting a very, very good interview. A good background interview. It was a good one. Ten minutes into the interview. Oh, and, and, and by the way, and, and so during that screaming match, he said, I said, well, if Brent needs me, he's got my cell phone number. We talk a lot on certain things. One, and a lot may be exaggeration. We talk from time to time on things, you know. His, one of his family members had a bad incident, and I wanted to make sure he knew that we were praying and, and thinking about him. He's always been, we've always had a good cordial relationship up until Friday. So I get to talking to these folks, and 10 minutes in the talk, there's a knock at the door, a very loud knock at the door. And we all kind of laughed. I said, oh, I guess the cops are looking for me. <laughs> because I hadn't interacted with any police officers other than two DPS troopers. I didn't act interact with any, any police officers other than one at a restaurant called Alexander's. Where I said hello and he said hello. He didn't know who I was. He's a newbie. I didn't know who he was because he was a newbie, but we shook hands and said hello. The man of the house opened the door and said, can I help you? And there were two officers standing there. The first officer was a young man by the name of Joel Swiger. He's the young police officer. His badge number is 702. So the other one was the sheriff of Hemp Hill County, Brent Clapp. And they said, do you need, uh, we need to talk to Philip Klein. And he said, why do you need to talk to Philip Klein? He said, because he criminally trespassed a house. It's all on body cam. I mean, it's all on body cam. Need to talk to him about criminal trespass. I heard that and went, what? So I excused myself from the meeting Walked over, walked outside. The homeowner sat in his little chair, uh, his little uh, bungalow. He has a very nice house. Uh, and he sat on, on the outside so he could listen. So there's a witness. 
We get in the front yard and I go, hey, Brent, how are you? You look good. Brent said, man, you've lost a lot of weight. I said, yeah, I have. How are you, Brent? And we're good. So I looked and I at the officer and I saw that his body cam was running. I wasn't going to run to my car and turn my system on real quick. It wasn't going to happen. I mean, it just they, they wouldn't allow me to do that. I said, how can I help you gentlemen today? Well, did you go over to the 1400 block of whatever? And I said, and, and you know, I know Ashley's a little nervous, so I'm not going to give out her address. I said, yes, I did. Okay. Well, she didn't want you back over there. I said, okay, great. Super. Not a problem. Kind of figured that, but not a problem. And then they asked me the question, what did you say or something about what did I interact with the children on? And I went, what are y'all talking about? I didn't even see children. The only person I saw was Mrs. Miller. And she was nice enough to leave my card uh, inside the house. And then I was working on my CAD notes on the sidewalk. And she said, bye. And I said, bye. Everybody have a good day. Okay, have a good day. It was a very lovely experience. And then I went and I told them. I went out to get fuel and then came over here. What are you all talking about? You didn't interfere with the children? What are you all talking about? And then I snapped. I said, oh, don't know that I articulated this, but that's when I went into defense mode thinking, I, I know what happened. Robert Boyd got on the phone and he called the sheriff's department after speaking to his wife right because i know mrs miller was going to call call ashley and say this is this is what just happened and she got on the phone and probably chewed boyd out and boyd freaked out and created a false police report that i had attempted to interact with his children i'm saying that's what i think happened i have a 552 that my legal counsel is putting together right now to serve hemphill county we're going to get all we're going to get all of the recordings we're going to get all of the reports we're going to get all of the interaction and we're going to get the body cam so I said, guys, I, I, I don't know where y'all are coming from on this. He said, well, I'm writing you a criminal. Let me see. I got it right here, as a matter of fact, in my hot little hands. A criminal trespass report. They say that Ashley Dawn Boyd is the property owner or caretaker. And that she wanted, doesn't want me back on the property. I said, again, I said, okay, great. Well, we're going to issue the trespass. And I looked at him. I said, you can't do that. Well, yes, we can. I've been doing this for however many years, a young man said. I said, dude, you're violating the law. You don't know the law. You can't do this. Brent Clapp sat there and said, nothing, nothing just created small talk with me. 
I ID'd myself and showed my state ID. I said, I am, I am an investigator and personal protection officer attempting to do witness interviews in this town. You can't issue it. Yes, I can. Well, then if you think you can, you better start following the law. But who am I to tell a police officer and the sheriff of a county the law? So I thought in my mind, Philip, just be quiet. Let them violate the law. Good choice. Oh, I know. I know. It was an excellent choice because I've talked to everybody from the attorney general's office all the way, all the way to T. Cole and, and, and two state legislatures and three, no, four sheriffs to make sure I'm, I wasn't wrong and my legal counsel. To make sure I'm not wrong. And guess what? I'm not wrong. Under statute 30.05, there are certain rules, regulations that you must follow. If you're a police officer, remember, just because somebody has a badge and a gun doesn't mean that you're guilty. It just means that's their allegation. I asked him, well, what if I don't sign this? And they both were just dumbfounded and just looked at me. I said, just give it to me. And I signed it. It's criminal trespass warning. After they left, I finished my interview and I immediately got on the phone. Called my attorney, told him what happened. And of course, they're like, what's wrong with those people up there? I said, what do you mean? What do you mean, what's wrong with these people? There's some great people up there. No, the people that are supposed to enforce the law. What is their problem? You were intimidated. They were trying to intimidate you. Now, of course, me, I'm that guy that sits on the porch, right? I listen to the left, I listen to the right, and then I make my own decision. They say it's legal. Everybody else in God's green earth says it's not legal. I pick up the law. I read it. It is not legal what they did. Under the law, what they have to do is either say, follow us. We're going back over to the Boyd residence, and Ashley Boyd must stand there and say, I don't want you back. You don't just send cops around to do your to do your dealings, right? You just don't do that. It, you, you just don't do it. You have the, the complainant, which would have been Boyd, and the defendant, which was me. She must tell me, I don't want you back on the property. Okay, great. Thanks. Then if I go back to the property, that's when the criminal trespass warning should be issued. I tell all of you, once they do that, that information goes into NCIC. This could affect any current or future security clearances for me. And this could create an issue for me down the line if any numbnut were to attempt to file charges. That's why you see... I record everything. And all of this was recorded too. It's all recorded. And I even played the recording for the sheriff. Hey, sheriff, here's the recording. 
And he listened to it. The whole thing took 45 seconds. The whole tape is five uh, minutes because, you know, I turn it on before, you know, I turn my, I, I, I get my cameras ready uh, on, the, on my unit and I put them on manual play rather than, uh, you know, it's an electric, electricity thing in those units. Anyway, so I know I'm covered. He listened to it and just looked at me. I said, Sheriff, you can't do this. What are you doing? Guess law doesn't matter there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why the sheriff of Hemphill County would allow this to happen. My guess, again, is that he got a call from Robert Boyd who told him I was messing with his kids. Which, again, is not true. It's a lie. Another lie by Robert Boyd. Another lie. This guy can't stop lying. It's just amazing to me. And people are either scared of him up there, or they just don't want to deal with him. So, moving on. I get in my car, call my attorney, Tell him what after the interview was over. Call my attorney. And by this time, it's almost five o'clock. So I called Brent on the phone. I said, Brent, I said, and I told them at the scene, at the house, I told him, I said, told him what happened. Boyd called me screaming, yelling, threatening to kill me, said I was a dead man walking, you know, all these terroristic threats. And he said, Well, do you want to file on him? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be a he said, she said. And he said, well, he may have recorded. I said, great. If he recorded it, he's going to prison. And that's when everybody kind of got, uh-oh, it must have really happened like Klein said it happened. You know, again, it's the false narrative put out up there that Philip Klein's nothing but a liar and a thief and he's taking people's money and, you know, blah, 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 blah. These are a bunch of Karens. They have no idea, no idea of what we do, how we do it. And even the sheriff said, Philip, I know you don't roll that way. I said, you're damn right I don't. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have the need to roll that way. This is the damages that Crane and, uh, what's his name, Samples and, and, and some other very prominent people are putting out in Canada, in, in Canadian Texas. And it's all a lie. Lori Brown? How many times has she accused me of lying? And then when she's presented with the documents by MJ Holmes... She doesn't even redact it. Or she, even doesn't redact, she, any, she, she doesn't even write an apology. Or even make a correction. Who cares about a damn apology? I don't just care make a about correction. It. Uh, just a correction. Hey, look, I, I I got wrong information. Here's the right information. I've been presented the text and the documents. She didn't do that. Integrity. Integrity. Or lack thereof. And I liked Lori Brown too when I first met her and did an interview out there on Lake, at Lake Marvin. I said, you know what? We've got to keep the public informed. That's my whole goal. Keep the good people of Hemphill County informed. But there's some people that don't want you to be informed if you're listening to this from Canadian. And in the end, 
when the lawyers are all done, you'll get a good picture of it. Because we sat back for four months and didn't say a damn word. Moving on to the story. So I said, Brent, I said on the phone, I called him about seven, I'm sorry, about five something, 515, 520. I said, hey, Brent, I said, uh, I think uh, I want to come in and give a statement regarding uh, the threats that were made against me. He said, well, nobody's there right now. And I said, I understand that. He said, but you can go into the Fourier, push the button. The dispatcher will have a unit respond. Thanks, Brent. Appreciate you. Okay. So I go. I do that. Push the button. Here's the sheriff guy. A real nice sheriff's deputy, and I wish I could remember his name. But he was wonderful. I said, you got your camera going? Yeah, he's got his camera going. I said, great, super. And so he says, well, you, I said, I want an entry into this file on my side of what happened with the phone call with Robert Boyd. Okay, not a problem. I wrote it out. Then we went into his office. He typed it up. I signed it. He certified it. Okay. So we did that. And one of the things I told Brent Clapp out there on whatever street it was we were on. I said, Brent, you know what you're doing, aren't you? You know what you're allowing to happen. You know this is outside the law, but you know this is going to leak. You know this is going to leak within 30 minutes. You get that. It's going to be leaked out all over the community. Philip Klein got a trespass warning. Ooh, bad Philip Klein adds to the narrative, right? Adds to the narrative. Ooh, what a bad guy. So, as it goes, sure enough, within 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, and I texted Brent Clapp. I texted Brent Clapp, and I told him, we text each other every once in a while just to say hello, how's it going, how's the family, everybody feeling all right, everybody's good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. My office sent me a screenshot, and I sent him this text. Brent, that didn't take long, and this is at, at night, uh, 2,200 hours, 10 o'clock. That didn't take long because I was still working at 10 o'clock because I got behind because of all this BS. That didn't take long. Like I said, agenda driven, and I sent him a copy of it. And then on Saturday, I said, oh, here we go because the General Karen's got it, right? At 1228 in the afternoon, I sent him another one. And then all of a sudden, I get this text back from the sheriff. Two guys that talk to each other all the time. He says, will please forward anything to my work phone. Gave me his work phone. Thanks in case they're needed at a later date. All I said was K. Then he wrote me back and said, thank you, sir. That was the phone going down on my desk here. Look, folks, you have to now ask yourself, why would two 
veteran officers and the and the and the young guy, the seven oh was his number seven oh two, his name's Swiger. He got mad at me, and then I said, "Hey, Swiger, or officer, come here." And he came, walked back over, and I shook his hand. I said, "Look, I don't want you to be mad, but I, you're new here. You've only been here two months. You, I've been working on this case for six years with that man standing right there." And I said, "Listen." I didn't mean any offense to you. I'm just trying to explain the law. Oh, I know the law. Okay, good. You know the law. If you know the law, then you just admitted to violating the law. <laughs> you can't make it up. Folks. You can't, you folks. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. Any, and and any good officer knows that you have to have the complainant in front. of of the defendant and say, hello, I don't want you back on my property. Fine. It has to be a verbal thing. Then if you come back onto the property, that's when 3005 kicks in. So that's the story that everybody's floating around today. Philip Klein got a trespass warning. I did. Illegally. Thank you. And with that, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be back for part two with um, MJ Holmes. We'll be right back. And we are back for part two of this show, um, and we want to welcome MJ Holmes from Georgia. Thank you for being here. Thank you. How are you doing, MJ? Uh, Today. Hectic, (laughs) right? As usual (laughs) in your life. It's hectic. All right. My my week's been very busy. Good, good, good. Well, listen, thank you for being on the show. uh, Mm -hmm. And thank you for um, all your work you do with KIC. We appreciate you. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, even though all the rumors are just stupid. um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, the Karens are flying. They've got brooms. It's Halloween. And so uh, we're doing an entire show, as you know, on the Thomas Brown Mm -hmm. case. And Mm -hmm. we wanted to bring you in as a special guest um, for one reason and one reason only. Is Mm -hmm. you have had direct communication with Chris Samples and with Michael Crane. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So what we want you to do is kind of explain to the listeners how this craziness has come about in the case, whereas an issue is being pushed, which, you know, we're still debating, and you know well about what has happened mm-hmm. with me when I was in a Canadian last week. Mm-hmm. And how it fits their narrative and how they're now spreading the narrative and how it continues to poison the case and hurt Chris, Penny, and Tucker. So we kind of, well, that's what we kind of want to do today. So um, I'm going to let you and Caroline go at it because you guys talk more than, you know, we talk. So anyway, okay. uh, Caroline, where do you want to start with this? Where do we where do we start in well, this craziness? I think that there's so much conjecture out there right now, and um, I know that Jane's the you're you're the one that has had those conversations. So if you just want to start by, mm-hmm. you know, well, let's do the first misnomer. Audience, the first misnomer out there is you have been calling them. Is that true? No. What what happened was. Um, 
I call it the Chris and Crane show. They did a show. I believe it was episode number. I'm not sure if it was episode number six or episode number seven, but they were taking some things out of context and they actually quoted me on something. And, and I just, um, and Chris had put up that he had a, a text hotline. So if anyone had any questions, so I, I texted the number and I said, it would help if you would quote me correctly and it would help if you would quit taking things out of context. And we texted back and forth um, for a while. And then, then he finally called me, no, excuse me, back up. He te- we texted back and forth and he said something about some, that would be radio. And I said, well, put me on with crane. That would be radio. So he, I, I, I've said it over and over again to him and to Michael crane that they're taking so many things out of context and and yeah, they may say, well, this is in their own words. So they'll play a clip in their own words or your own words, but they don't play what's before it or after it. I mean, you can, you can take anything someone says, but if you don't put in the right contextual um, atmosphere, then it's, it's, it may, it can mean a different, it can mean different things to the listener. And so that was my biggest problem. And I had never spoken with, with Chris samples before that day. And he finally, he, he just picked up the phone and cause we were texting back and forth and he's made it out to his audience. Like I just texted him out of the blue, put me on your show. And that's not how that happened. So um, my biggest problem with both of them is taking things out of context, taking things, uh, a clip from an audio and playing it without the, the lead up to it or the post comment. And they, they seem to just have their own narrative and, and they're going after you because, you know, they're they're talking about different things as far as um, some of these other cases that we work all over the country and how we, we've lied to them and the clients have fired us and the clients is, and they don't, number one, they weren't there. Number two, they don't know the circumstance. And there's a group of stalkers who follow everything you do. And all they do is go after and attack you. So um, I've just tried to clear the air with both of them. And Crane and I seem to have very cordial, nice conversation. We've, the first time we spoke was about three and a half hours. And then we spoke again for about an hour. And we talked again last night. So, and we had good conversation. Um, now I've, give, now, I've given you my opinion on Crane. If you're going to yes. lie about being a Navy SEAL, if you're going to misrepresent yourself about being a state police officer, what is it, a state, what do they call themselves? State, state investigator, investigator, former state investigator. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't trust the them. Things that, well, that's one of the biggest things I told him. I said, you know what? Chris and Michael, and I've never spoken with them together, only separately, but I told them, I said, you know what, you, every day when you get on with Crane or you talk about your episodes with Crane, you introduce him as a former state investigator, former state investigator. I said, but you don't really give a good contextual um, description of what that entails. And, you know, I told him, I said, you are you are misleading the public by saying this because you it sounds like he's some former homicide detective out of Dallas or no Houston he's and- he's not he's a liquor <laughs> he's a liquor bottle uh, a reader that's what he did for TABC I, I get it, I get it. I, but they put him up mm-hmm. to be this big homicide investigator. Philip Klein lied. He said this here mm-hmm. and said that there. If he had been a trained investigator, he would have gone cases ebb and flow. You get you know, some information. Me, well, you I've get investigated. You know, 
this, that, or the other in, in my role in, under, under the TABC. And I said, yeah, but y- you know what? He's misleading your credentials. He's being misleading to the public. And he's bis- being misleading about talking about how there's, what, 14 different law enforcement officials who have come to the same conclusion. Name them. From ours. And, well, you know, they've named the AG, the FBI, the, the, S, the Sheriff's Department, the Rangers, the... Uh, last night, Michael said something about Apple and Verizon. I'm like, Apple and Verizon. Who are they? No conclusions about anything. I know it. It's just crazy. But, yeah, but here's but, but here's the point I want to make real quick here, Jane. I know you're mm-hmm. very busy. I want to make this point mm-hmm. real quick. When he started saying that, and Crane started saying, uh, I'm sorry. When Crane started saying that, and Samples started saying that, I and you and everybody in this office went back to the OAG report that they put out the day before we did our presentation. Mm-hmm. That's not politics, right? And so right. at the bottom of it, what does it say? It, it says, says they have come to no conclusion as to whether this was a homicide or suicide. There is no conclusion. And that's what I just told Michael Crane last night, and I told the same thing to Chris Samples. I said, you keep talking about these law enforcement agencies have all come to the same conclusion. They have not come to the same conclusion. They have not come to any conclusion. They have not concluded he died from homicide. They have not concluded he died of suicide. They have no conclusion, and they're misleading leading the public. That's my whole thing is that they're misleading the public with their clips, with their narratives and with the, you know, his credentials. You, it's just, you can't, your your listeners are going, Oh my gosh, did you hear that about Philip Klein? I'm like, yeah, but it's not true just because it comes out of their mouth. So then he'll say, well, Nathan Lewis told us this. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, Nathan Lewis is a known liar. He's been proven to be a liar. He's been proven by T. Cole to be a liar. He's been proven by his own department to be a liar and the county attorney's office to be a liar. So you're going to believe Nathan Lewis, the liar? He 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 actually has letters that were sent to him by the county attorney and the, the county judge that says, look, one of your officers, Pine Gregory, we are not accepting any more cases from him. Because they've caught him lying. They know that he was putting entries into files, Tom Brown. And they know Mm -hmm. that he was, they said, you're not filing any more cases. We will not accept any more cases from you. Even the district attorney, Mm -hmm. Madonna, said it. We're not accepting any cases from Pine Gregory. His police, his police officer career left him at that point. But Mm -hmm. we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the sheriff and his putting in false and misleading, false and misleading Mm-mm. documents into the Brown case, lying about T. Cold training records. He saw his, I, mm-hmm. he saw and his career thing, leave him. And, you know, you can, you can, I just want a murder case here in my county just because of a biased investigation. And we called it investigational bias. They investigated one person and one person only when there were three other people that could have done it, and the jury agreed. So it, I, th- I call this investigational bias. I think that the AG's report was very biased. I, you know, I made this point with Michael Crane and with Chris Samples. Okay, you get an AG report that was hastily put together the night before the town hall meeting. Didn't even it, spell my name did. right. And it gave certain things in the report that, that led the reader to believe that certain things happened when it, number one, 
if you're going to say that Penny failed to polygraph or, or whoever failed to polygraph or Chris failed to polygraph, then by golly, put on there that the sheriff failed his, put on there that Pine Gregory failed his, and put on there that Philip Klein passed his. So I was like, why is there, there such an investigational bias in this narrative that's being put? And you know what? That's an excellent point. To this day, Caroline, yes or no, to this day, have you ever seen, you're the case manager, have you ever seen anything from any law enforcement agency that admits I passed my polygraph test have i physically seen have you read it have you seen it have you heard it other than rachel told you uh, yeah uh, that's the only thing i've ever seen is or uh, the the only way that i ever knew that was because the, rachel told me to but the, let me insert here for a second because jane you have a good point but what about these I, philip calls them karens i call them groupies i don't know what you want to call them but these these people that sit there and say well but what about klein and their investigation isn't that aren't they isn't their investigation being biased so will you touch upon that as to how we have looked at all parties great question we have looked at all parties we've looked at our clients we've looked at their friends we've looked at the law enforcement agency in Hemphill county we've looked at the people that were associated with it we've looked at the friends of tom we've looked at everyone we've come to no conclusions I mean, we really haven't. We, we, from, from our investigation, it's pointing more to a homicide rather than a suicide. Um, there's a lot of things I could go into of why I don't think it's a suicide. Um, well, first and, of and all, the dogs, their dogs, our dogs, everyone's dogs that's been put on that former property that they were at did not mm-hmm. find death scent. They didn't they find did it. They only found Dustin in the vehicle. In the vehicle. And so they, uh, you know, Tracy came up with the dogs and they searched the entire house. They searched the backyard. They searched um, the, the, there's a, like the a, a storage unit in the back, in the backyard. There's the dog hit on nothing. And the dog, you know, we went out to where the grandfather had committed suicide. And I didn't know that's where he committed suicide, but he hit on this concrete trough and we were told that's where he committed suicide so the dog hit on it and and but it just doesn't make any sense as to they keep you know about did the did the deputies come in the house that night well you know the i went back and listened to some recordings and the person who told me that they never went in the house two or three years ago i said where'd you hear that i heard it from laurie brown that's right laurie brown wasn't there Lori Brown was never, and that's where did Lori Brown hear it from? She heard it from Sheriff Lewis. Oh well, there you go. There you go. And see that that's why we go up and we do the interviews. We redo the interviews. We do the interviews. Then we redo the interviews to see if the story changes. And then we run down some rumors, some that are. And we listen, and then we re-listen, and then six years later we listen again, and we re-listen. And 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 let me interject this too. Um, Chris Samples keeps pushing this from the town hall meeting where you played the recording of the interview with Chris Jones from prison, and. You know, it's just like anything else that we've said. It's a theory that that we're not we didn't change our theory from something happened at the football field to now Chris Jones uh, was part of a, a gambling ring with the sheriff. That is not what that was all about. And that's what I tried to explain to Samples and to Crane is that that was that clip was just show one of the things that 
one of the things that we have to vet. I mean, we vetted so many can stories. You, That's could, one of well, them. And, and could and you also, guys, hold on, let me interject this. Could you guys imagine what would happen if we didn't follow up on the Chris Jones thing and that theory had come out by one of them? I mean, could you imagine how they'd light us up and say, oh, they're not doing their jobs. They skipped the Chris Jones thing. Can you imagine what well, they would have said about us? It's always going to be a twofold situation with regard with the public, regardless of what tip we vet or what we don't vet or what we had our hands on at the time or what we didn't or what piece of evidence we had or what piece of evidence we've never had. It, it The thing is, is that it's never going to be enough. Nothing will ever be enough um, regarding our team and our investigation. That's right. Period. Never. Never be enough. And, and we can't it. win. We can't there's, win. There's, We're not here to win. A, We're here to solve a case. This is a very, um, very heavily watched and followed case throughout the country. And, you know, even, you know, uh, one of the podcasters has a discussion group. And and, and that's another thing. You know, that they would get on and say false things about me and false things about Tracy and false things about Philip and our investigation. And I was get on there and I'm like, that's not true. This is what actually happened. And so what does he do? He bans me from the page. And you know, what's that guy's name? Ed Denzel. Ed Denzel. He's another, he's another dip wad. Okay. I know. I'm I'm telling you, he keeps preaching to everybody. What's come across my desk. Remember I'm, usually a month behind on some of this and stuff. And you know what he said? You know, this is my page and I can have whoever on it I want. And I'm like, that's fine, Ed. That's fine. And then he, then I sent him something the other day and I'm like, you're letting, you're allowing all these Karens on your page, these Facebook warriors and Facebook detectives who, 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 who you know, just get on there and it's nothing but drama. And I said, you're letting them sitting here spewing falsehoods. And I said, and so he wrote me back and he said, um, that let them talk. He said, and, and, um, I'm not going to address this issue again with you. And I'm like, fine. fine. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he tell you not to contact him anymore? I thought I read he that did. at the end. He did. You know, and, like, okay, whatever. and so, so that brings, you can't win, you know, it, it's, it, it, I, I'm, there's, well, and you know, and, and there's, it, I, and I do I agree with him. Even, I do agree I with him, Jane. I do agree with him saying, let him talk. See what's happened when we shut down here and we quit talking about anything, or even They're like, oh my gosh, Klein quit talking. What happened? What, what happened? happened? Oh, oh my gosh, what's Klein doing? Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm waiting that, for moment now, right? <laughs> and and then they get loose lips and they start talking and they start saying things, and that's what some of them are in trouble for. They don't know they're in trouble, but they're fixing to find they're in trouble for saying false and misleading things. The more they get, think they have the power. And make things up, the worse of a criminal they can be. I'm going to say it. Michelle Gomez. Mm -hmm. Michelle Gomez is known in the state of Texas for being nothing, nothing but a criminal and a dipwad. And let me tell you what, the the criminal side is easy. She's a convicted felon. She's a convicted felon. And she's had multiple charges on her for financial crimes. You know, we heard this morning that there's a possibility she may be applying for her own license. 
Good. Do it. <laughs> Go do it. At least she'll be yeah. following the law and she won't be breaking the law. All of us out here are working hard in our industry and we pay lots of money for insurance. We pay lots of money for licensing, for employee licensing, for equipment. We pay, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, but yet you mm-hmm. get somebody that has a little office in her in her bedroom and and she's all all of a sudden she's the queen well, the queen doing it of nothing illegally right doing now it illegally even yeah she's still doing it illegally but hey yeah hey you're right but hey who cares right nobody should care right i mean she has she's, she's, been, she's better become, than all of us now now the, the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators uh, removed her from membership because of her unethical behavior and unlicensed activity. We've all and, been interviewed by investigators, right? That Yes, we have. And she, you know, I, I don't, she, she, I guess the, the thing I can say is that people like her give the, our entire industry a bad name. And, and she's, she's turned into a stalker. She puts up all her threats, you know, come and come and, you know, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to interject here for a moment because, um, it was sent to me last night. Somebody, um, I guess that follows the case sent, um, a little screenshot to me about what, uh, Michelle Gomez had posted. I- I'm assuming sometime this week. What'd she post now? One of those old, um, you know, those old blogs about you that, uh, is written from not only our stalker, but also somebody here local that um, wrote the, the, the article about oh, you with the, oh, the oh. sesame or your picture with the nose mm-hmm. on it and all of that BS. Yep. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit it right now. I went and I did the laughing emoji on her page about that because if she was smart enough, she would have done her research and know what the hell it's even about. Well, it's you know, written by a pedophile. She's supporting a pedophile who, by the way, is dead. But his throat was slit out in Arizona. He, she is promoting a pedophile. Does that show you what kind of a woman she is? What kind of a person she is? She didn't That's even unprofessional first, but second. But the problem. Well, is I guess she's a criminal. Criminals go with criminals, people, right? That's the problem. Is just you know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Yeah, That's exactly. what I tell people all the time. You know, I can I can you know say that um, you know anything, and it's not true. It does. It can be anything. And that's the thing with when we get, if we go back to Chris and Crane, that's the thing. Like like he talked about Robert Boyd. You know, well Robert Boyd said he didn't say this. What did he record it? Do you have it? If you have it, then put it put his recording up there. Yep. You know, yep. Robert Boyd said he didn't do this. Robert Boyd didn't do that. Robert Boyd didn't do this. I'm like, what? Okay. You gonna believe this guy really? And He's I mean, got a criminal history too. And like I I said <laughs> earlier in the podcast, Jane, you didn't hear this, but I said yeah. it earlier in the podcast that, you know, when it comes down to the things that Robert's done, the the voicemails, the drunk phone calls with myself here in this office, the threats to dad, the um the everything even even down to the town hall meeting where he made the uh outburst that he made all of it's recorded we have proof of every single thing that we're saying and backing up and we will mm-hmm. provide and let, that when the time comes when the time comes because the time is coming we're going to provide it and the time is coming but let me say this i want to say publicly 
Okay, and, and everybody turn your recorders on. I'll give you five seconds. Here we go. Turn your recorders on because I'm going to say something very controversial. Mr. Boyd, oh, <laughs> I know exactly. Three, two, one. Mr. Boyd, anytime, any place, anywhere, just make sure that you come heavy. You've threatened my life three times now. You think you can do it? Bring it on. You very well may. But you very well may not. Remember that. Mm -hmm. Threats mean nothing until you act out. Do I think Robert Boyd is dangerous? Yes. I think he gets liquor in him, and I think he he loses all self-control. And I think that, I don't think he had liquor in him when he called me Friday. I don't think he had liquor in him. It was probably something stronger. Did y'all address that issue of what he said to we did. Um, Michael Crane? Oh, no, maybe not. No, we didn't. We haven't addressed that. We so haven't addressed, I that. addressed that. I, I talked to Michael Crane last night, and he says, well, you know, we talked about, I talked about the issue this past weekend in Hempel County, and he, he's, and oh, and Chris Samples mentioned this. He, so, cause Chris mentioned it on the radio yesterday. That's why I discussed it with Michael Crane last night. Chris mentioned on the radio yesterday that, um, that Philip had been in town and that he went to, uh, Boyd's house and engaged his daughter and asked her to put a card on the kitchen table for her mother. Well, that is not true. That is not a true story. That is not what happened. And, and it's recorded. Engaged, it's recorded. Philip never engaged his daughter. He never he never spoke to the daughter. He spoke to an adult, and the adult said, "She's not home. I'll take your card and put it on her table." So That's there right. was no interaction with any child. I don't even remember um, seeing so, children. So, so that's a, well, I thought the girl was, I think, bringing a child home or something. Yeah, Mrs. Miller, nice lady, very nice lady, has nothing to do with any of this other than she accepted a card and put it on the kitchen table. I never talked to any, any of his children, any, but, well, you know, I think, like. I think you got her name wrong, and I'm not going to say her right name, but then uh, it's, oh, my God, he lied again. It's uh, not Mrs. Miller. What's her name? <laughs> Let me look at it here. I got it right no, in front no, no. of me. You don't need to, you don't need to announce her name. She's got nothing to do with nothing. So. Okay. Well, anyway, anyway, bottom line is, let me ask you this question. You're, you're a very seasoned investigator. You are an interrogation person with our team. I've watched you work. You are very, very good at what you do. I've even seen you coerce a couple of, well, you made the front page of pretty much everything uh, in the United States when you got the confession from that woman in New Orleans that solved how many cases? Uh, they were going around poisoning oh. people, and uh, I'm, yes, okay. And she's she's got a sentencing hearing um, in a couple of weeks. Yes. Well, there you go. So so <laughs> yeah. you you did a great job. I've watched you work on those cases. I've helped you on some of those cases when you've invited me in to help you. Let me yeah. ask you this question, okay. uh, and I'm being sincere. And I've thought about this. Do you think Mr. Crane is being used by Chris Samples? Um, I do. Now, is Crane a very smart individual? Yes. Um, but from what I've been told is that Chris Samples is the one who, quote, has recruited Crane to do these shows. 
I don't know if anybody's exchanging money or being paid to do so, but according to Crane, he was a member of a quote mystery club and a cousin <laughs> and a cousin a murder club, murder mystery club, murder and mystery a cousin club. told him about the Tom Brown case and he started looking into it and then he has a friend who lives in Canadian who said, you know what, he, she read his notes and said, hey, I need you to talk to uh, Chris Sample about this uh, from the radio show. So he did. And Well, actually, Chris reached out to Michael Crane to talk to him about his notes that he made on the Tom Brown case. And that's how, Chris, that's how Crane explains it to me, how it all got started. And I asked him last night, I said, can you tell me who this person is that, that puts you in touch or put Chris Sample in touch with you? And he said, no, he won't. See, so, that's my um, point. That's my that, point that I make and uh, I've made earlier in the show and I made today right. is that, you know what? I'm not smart enough to be a radio DJ. Have I been in the radio business? Yes, I did run a thing called Southeast Southeast Texas Political Review Weekly. It was a hit, and we just couldn't come to a contract negotiation after five years, and I just said, look, i got to walk away from this. I'm too busy. That's one. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing I know about the radio business. I don't. Caroline's got a board here in front of her that looks like a Christmas tree. I have no idea how to operate it. She's was through it, and in the last forty-eight hours, knows how to get this uh, studio up and running. She's done a great job. Do I know anything about that? No. Do I get on the radio or the broadcast or whatever the hell it is and say, "Oh, I'm the best guy in the world for this"? No, I don't. Equally, you've got a guy, Michael Crane, who not only is stolen valor. Right, but he says former state law enforcement. That was back in the 1980s when he read bottles. What what qualifies him to be an investigator on a major homicide cases? Caroline, how many homicide cases have we have come through here? We have a bunch of them. We have a whole crapload of them. I mean, when we even when some of the state people come in here and and audit us, like we get audited every friggin' two weeks. Um, they come in here and they go, man, your caseload is unbelievable. These are some of the high-profile cases around the world. Yes, they are. The Brown case isn't the only case we got going in here, folks. It's not even close to the only one. And I'm not sitting here being braggadocious. I'm just stating facts. We are good homicide investigators. We are. And for them to suggest that they know better or attempt to know better. Was that a good little snippet for him? Could they snip that out? Um, that means nothing. And speaking of snipping, they better watch out because this broadcast is copyrighted and they have not asked permission to use our voice or our bot, our podcast. Mm. Oh, that was a good one. Well, no, I mean, they haven't. I mean, the I lawyers are, the lawyers saying. are on that too. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's the bottom line deal. Do you think, Jane, that this mm -hmm. case is solvable? It's solvable. It is. Then, um, then answer to what the public keeps asking me. How? <laughs> How are you going to no, solve it? Lately, they've been asking, why haven't you solved it yet? I mean, yeah. crime, well, okay. a crime's not always solved in, the, in, you know, in, a, in a given time period. I mean, it, there's a lot of factors involved. Um, I, think, I think that when the right information comes forward, and I think it can, um, 
that, you know, I don't know. I don't, I can't tell you who all is involved. I think there's more than one person involved. Do you think there's a puppet um, master? Absolutely. There's a puppet master. Somebody absolutely. feeding other people with money. Uh, it could be money. It could be money. But, and, but I understand the plot. I not, I understand the, the controversy in Canadian. They want this case. They want it to be solved. Number one. And we do too. Closure. They need closure, number two. And we and do, number too. Three, it's, and, and maybe that's, you know, Laurie Brown, she's always been a mouthpiece for the sheriff, all during the early parts of the investigation when Sheriff Lewis was still there. And then Chris, he said, you know, well, I've had Philip Klein on a radio show a lot of times. I've given him, I've given him ample airtime. And, yes, he has, but all of a sudden things changed. And I don't really know what changed, but it's almost like a Chamber of Commerce moment. Everybody needs to go away. We want our little town back. We want our town back the way it was. It'll never be the same. No. But we do. But I want I want the people of Canadian to know that we have a we do absolutely have a lot of respect for everyone in that town. Absolutely. It is a beautiful. It's a beautiful town. The people are wonderful people. There, uh, many of them were our fourth and fifth generation. Um, yeah, it's like I told people. you this, like I told everyone the story in the meeting, which was, hey, when I walked up to this house, this lady who is a patriarch of that city said, you're Philip Klein, you're the bad guy and pointed her finger at me and said, you know, we don't want to talk to you. And I said, okay, thank you. And the husband said, well, why are you, wait, wait a minute, why are you here? I said, I just, I, I'm not here for any factual anything. I just want to know you're, you guys are the patriarchs of this community. I just want to see things through your eyes. And you know what they did? Mm -hmm. They invited me into the house. And then two and a half hours later, I, after sitting there, listening to them, listening to what they said and through their eyes and the understand of the upset. And then we broke bread together. I, I, I you know what? And, and when she left, she goes, you know what? You're nothing, nothing close to what they've described you to be. I said, mm -hmm. I know. I said, but you know what? People that do things like that have evil in their hearts. And that goes back mm -hmm. to the um, conversation that you had with uh, Crane last night when you asked him, you know, have you ever had a conversation with Philip? And he said, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not even interested, and I'm sure Philip isn't either. But had had they actually given him a chance to speak or to have a conversation, it, you know, mm -hmm. that's just one prime example with um, – the couple that Philip just talked about. And you know what? And, what and tell them. that story, Jane. Tell, tell them what they said when you asked if, you, if you've ever had a conversation with Philip Klein. I mean, I haven't heard it. No, That's I why I want to hear it. <laughs> I, ha I haven't. No, he said, I, you know, I haven't. And, and I'm, I've, I tell these, I tell these people, I've told Chris this, I've told Michael this, like, you know what? You don't, you guys really don't know Philip Klein. All these people out here that are spewing all this stuff and these little hate groups, you know, these little, I could name all their names. They, mainly when they post something negative, there's just like three or four people that go back and forth. So they have their own little cheering group. But those people do not know you. They don't know what kind of investigator you are. All they think is you're full of crap. And you know what? Let them think that. It doesn't matter. I told, and I told Crane last night, I said, you know what? You don't really know Philip Klein. I said, if you had a missing child, you'd probably want him on your case because he's like a dog with a bone. He's not going to let it go. And he doesn't give a crap what people think about him. I really, really? don't. He doesn't. I, 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 le I left that. I left that. 
I left giving a crap what people think about me back in the early 2000s after 9-11. I saw all these yeah. heroes and how this one firefighter stood up and said, you know what? I don't care what the people of New York think about us. We're going to we're going to bring everybody out of this mm -hmm. building of these buildings. Right. And, and I, it touched and my heart. People. And I thought, I've got to stop caring what people think about me. Well, and I've told these people, too. I said, did you know that he was a firefighter? He just retired after 30 something years in the firefighting business. I said, you know, he'll run into a burning building to save you. If you if you support your first responders who give their life and their time and they, and they give away from their families and everything to go and help people in need, that's the kind of guy Philip Klein is. And they're like, uh, 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 he, you know, he's so full of crap. He's so bullet, a bombastic, uh, cocksure, all these all these adjectives that that Skip Hollingsworth came up for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's you know another what? one, Skip Hollingsworth. Sometimes, I really liked him. It takes, Sometimes it takes a little ego to do what we do. I said, we all have an ego. And I told Michael this. I said, Michael, you got an ego? Listen to you. Really? Yep. <laughs> I, yeah. I, that's I'm that's another one. Skip Hollingsworth. I'd, I'd had enough of him. You know, for when he wrote that on the front page of the damn Texas Monthly, and he said, Philip Klein strolled into town in his big black suburban, said, I'm going to solve this case. That's that is so far from the truth. That's it's just mean. But that's the thing is it, it is media and it's entertainment and they're going to sensationalize whatever they want. <laughs> but with all of that, guys, we are running out of time. So is there any last yeah. final thoughts that y'all want to um, say? MJ, you're up. Well, I just want to um, thank the people that do that can have an open mind in this case and not believe everything that you hear uh, in the media and through the rumors. And, and it's, and it's like the game of telephone. You, you run around in a, you start a story with one person by the time it gets to that last person in line, it's a totally different story. And that's exactly what has happened in this case. That's what happens on all these keyboard warriors on the internet. They talk half truths. They don't know what they're talking about. They weren't there. And when you, if you weren't there and you didn't hear it with your own ears from the horse's mouth, then I would, I would not run with that as being the gospel because it's not always the truth. Well, so just be, have an open mind. And we love the people of Canadian Texas there. It is a very warm place. I, I hope they can heal one day and, and get past this. And we do too, because we want this family to have closure. Uh, Penny, Chris and Tucker. How many times have so we much. seen Penny cry and Chris have to walk out of the room with his head in his hands and Tucker sit there with tears running down his face? You know, what else is that community up there and some in that community and around the United States, what are they going to put those people through? I mean, really? I mean, it's got to stop. Have a heart. Have a soul. I mean, you I mean, know, if uh, that, they want to run with the narrative that is being pushed by samples, then run, run with, with it. it. Just leave them alone, really. Yep. I mean, it, it, what? And I think it's I, important in, at this point to say, because in Jane, I don't think we relayed this to you, but this is the last time that we'll be publicly speaking yep. on the Tom Brown case. This is it. This um, is it. Okay. And so I think it's important to finish this out with, you know, we have asked our clients, did you cover up a suicide? Did you move Tom's body? Those questions have been asked to both Penny Tucker and Chris by, In the if not all of us, at least by myself, because I know for a fact I had a conversation with each of them and point blank said, right. I don't want to have to ask you this, but I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you this because number one, it's important 
right? In any investigation right. um, as investigators, right. but also there was just a lot of pressure going on at the time from the public accusing them. And I wanted to see the white of their eyes and I wanted them to tell me yes or no and, and make my own conclusion as an investigator. Mm -hmm. So these hard questions have been asked contrary to these um, people's belief that are pushing a separate narrative. Yep. If you think that we haven't actually looked at our clients, looked at the sheriff's office, looked at the people that Thomas was with last, looked at the people that Thomas had relationships with, including his own girlfriend, that Sage Pennington. I mean, all these people have been looked at. And so, you know, for me, I just think that we push forward. And I'm, and, and I'm famous. I'm famous in the investigation world for going after families that have killed their young ones or loved ones. Oh, but or, that's twisted. That's twisted oh to the God. public, you know. Of, How is that twisted? Oh, he fi their clients fired him, and then then they then they sued him. Well, get to the real story of why they fired you and why you were sued and who won the case, right? Yeah, right. So um, I got money out of that one, because, you know. But uh, he, she, the finger, all the evidence pointed to the mom and dad is doing something with their child, and we we we. Poured it out, and yep. it's like, oh, well, you, you, you're fired. Yep. You know. Hey, isn't it amazing? For defamation. Isn't right? it amazing <laughs> in the last year, almost two years, coming up now, that mm -hmm. we have not been sued whatsoever for any reason by anybody since Thomas mm -hmm. Retzloff is dead and Jeffrey Durrell is dead? Is yeah. it? Isn't it amazing? It's, it a, it's just freaking amazing. The Baratree cases have gone away. The Baratree cases have gone away. That's true. God, Amen. I should. I, I don't know which is better for Darrell, death or prison. I guess death won. All right. Yeah. Well, on that note, we are going to call it a day. <laughs> we appreciate you all listening. Thank Jane, you, thank Jane. you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Okay, thank great. All right, all folks. Right. And that's it for this podcast. Last time we'll talk about the Tom Brown case until after the litigation period is over. And we hope that uh, we I'm hope sure that we'll have a lot more to say. You will have a lot more to say after after that's over. Who knows? May get to 12 men and women and we'll see what 12 men and women say over in Dallas, Texas. We thank so. you for listening. And if you're not already, make sure to follow us on the Klein Files Facebook page. And you can also find us on any podcast platform. Um, we will drop the new episode um, on our page. Yep. Thank you very much. I hope you all have a great week. Bye. Bye-bye.